Hey, what's happening, everybody? You're listening to another episode of the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. This is the podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. Our first week of December, our first week out of Nintendo month, and boy, do we have an exciting episode today. We're going to keep the ball rolling, keep the momentum going. Today, we're going to be focusing on the wonderful music of the recently released Cuphead. And not just that, that's going to be fun in and of itself. Later in the episode, we're very fortunate enough to be able to speak to the composer of this wonderful game, Christopher Madigan. So that's going to be very fun to have that in-depth interview in the middle of this episode. As you guys may know, on this podcast, once a season, we try to have one of these interview episodes where we get to talk and hear the insight from a video game composer. And usually we try to do that at the end of our season, but as we're approaching a special milestone for this podcast, we have to try to fit this in a little bit earlier. So we're very excited to focus on the wonderfully jazzy music of Cuphead. Yeah, I've, I've been really looking forward to this game and this soundtrack in particular for years. Mm-hmm. Ever since I saw some of the first, you know, concept footage of it, I just thought it was a great idea. And I couldn't wait to get my hands on the score because I kind of had a suspicion of the type of music that it was going to feature. Right. You know, this sort of novelty ragtime sound of, you know, the 1920s and 30s. But what absolutely floored me was how much incredible big band jazz music there is in in this score. In fact, I'd say that's, you know, really 80% of the music to Cuphead oh, yeah. is kind of the sound that you're hearing right now. Yeah, the stage themes or, or the themes that maybe are supposed to portray the different bosses, for sure. And that was definitely a surprise for a lot of people. When I think about what I would expect for this game that's based on 1930s cartoons, uh, it's not actually what we got. The soundtrack went into so many other places, so many exciting places that I would not have thought of. So it's just a very fresh and creative soundtrack. This is one of the most talked about games of the year, um, and the music is a huge part of that. And it's crazy that we're able to follow up last week's episode on Odyssey with this. I mean, these are definitely two of the most talked about games, and the music is a huge part of that. So let's get into it because we have so much great stuff to get to. So this game was developed by Studio MDHR, And it's a cool story because brothers Chad and Jared Moldenhauer were the ones who created this game. Uh, And we we can speak definitely to to the powerful creative force that that two brothers have. So that's just a cool story to see how, uh, and and Chris is going to get into this in the interview, how it went from a much smaller scale project to to what it actually turned out to be. And it's really cool hearing the story of how uh, Chris kind of had to evolve with the project as well. So if anyone is not familiar with this game, uh, Cuphead is a 2D run and gun shooter and it's basically an homage to 1930s cartoons especially in the visual style in the sense of humor in the game uh so it's just it's a delightful game it's a very challenging game so it's not a game for the faint of heart um but either way even if you're not very good at video games the good news is you can go online and you can buy this soundtrack and enjoy some wonderful music what you guys heard playing in was high seas high jinks and this is one of the tracks that is more of that fleshed out big band sound kind of that early era of big band reminds me of benny goodman uh this track starts off with a beat that's kind of similar to sing 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 and we're going to get that kind of jungle style drum beat uh, a lot in the score let's move on to something different will do you want to set this up this is i believe the first thing you hear in the game yeah, and um, throughout the score to Cuphead, there are a couple wonderful instances that feature barbershop quartet, which again is not necessarily something that we w- might think of with cartoon music, but I think what Christopher Madigan was going for here in the score was he wanted to capture the period. And what's great about all this big band music is it's 
it feels like it's pulled right out of the 1930s. Yeah. And when we think of music of the 20s and 30s, it's hard to escape the sound and the influence of barbershop quartet. So let's listen to one of my favorite pieces in the game, a delightful little introduction to the character of Cuphead. This track is called Don't Deal with the Devil. Well, Cuphead and his pal man, they like to roll the dice. By chance they came upon Devil's Game, and gosh, they paid the price. Paid the price. And now they're fighting for their lives on a mission fraught with dread. And if they proceed but don't succeed, well, the devil will take their heads. <laughs> Such a great quick ending to that. Definitely lets you know the sense of humor this game is going to have. Uh, it's just it's just such a great story. So Cuphead and Mugman basically lose lose a deal to the devil uh, in, in gambling. Right. So the whole plot of the game is that they have to try to uh, kind of win back the money and fight through all these stages and these bosses. So it's just a it kind of the plot of this game reminds me of a plot of an old cartoon. Uh, and what a great way, what a great way to kind of introduce you to what you're going to be in for in this experience here. Absolutely. Yeah, there, there's something about that that twisted kind of dark sense of humor that's great. And also the subtle kind of like anti-gambling, you know, stay away from sin <laughs> type of morality tale that's yeah. like in there too. I really love it. It totally captures the period. And I, I absolutely adore all of the barbershop quartet stuff in this game. I really happen to love that music and, and that um, kind of paintbrush of harmony. It's so rich and, and colorful. And I, I think in general, I'm just such a fan of music of this period. It feels very optimistic and, and sweet. Absolutely. And it's also worth mentioning that Chris, in addition to composing that and coming up with those harmonies, he did write the lyrics to, to this as well. So right. very impressive how diverse uh, he had to be in this in this project. So yeah, I think that's a nice, short and succinct piece of music that speaks for itself. Let's move on. One of my favorites, I think both Will and myself, we were very blown away by this piece of music. It's one of the first things you hear in the game. Uh, it's a theme to the character Elder Kettle, who's this parental figure in the game who, who really is a teapot. <laughs> and uh, this is such a great, it's almost like that old school chamber, small kind of chamber music. It reminds me a little bit of maybe like the Hal Roach shorts. Sure. Um, a little bit more orchestral and classical. This is kind of a beautiful waltz here. So a very different palette uh, than you hear definitely when you're, when you're playing this stages in this game a lot more light let's take a listen to elder kettle from cuphead composed by christopher madigan So delightful. You guys are listening to Elder Kettle 
um, which is a very nice change of pace from the tone that we get in, I would say, most of the experience while playing the game. This is composed by Christopher Madigan from Cuphead. And uh, what's great, in the interview, we're going to be able to talk a little bit more about, uh, Chris talks about his his process for coming up with this style, this facet of the score. So there really is maybe like three facets. Uh, there's there's a couple of that couple of those pieces that have that barbershop sound. Really, I think only maybe two in the in the whole score. And then there's a handful of pieces that have this more kind of chamber music, slightly orchestral feel. And so he talks a little bit about that. Uh, we do have some ragtime pieces, and then we have more of the big band swing stuff. So it's cool to hear his uh, his experiences with how he approached each different style. But Will, what are your thoughts about this track, Elder Kettle? Well, what I love about it is what I love about about so much of the score to Cuphead, and that's the the quality and craft that went into the arranging and orchestration. It's something I'm I'm really excited that we're going to get to talk to Christopher about. Um, but I, I think it's the thing that really impressed me the most about Cuphead. Yeah. It, not only that, I think it's it's creative and it's all idiomatic writing, but it also captures the period. I think the the harmonies and the melodies and rhythms and you know the style that he goes for in so much of the score is what I think is going to remind most people of the era. But I think the kind of craftsmanship that might go unnoticed is in the detail in the orchestration, and you can tell that. Um, he just poured over so much music, listened to a lot of music, and yeah. definitely studied a lot of scores because there's a subtlety and I think a sophistication um, in the arranging that really shines through. And I think that's that's something that just needs to be celebrated. Well, sometimes that happens when, when you nail an old style, uh, you know, from an era that's long past. Uh, sometimes it's easy to overlook and say, oh yeah, because I've heard this before. This 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 is nice. But you don't actually realize all the work that it takes in order to create this. This is a new piece of music, you know, that came out in 2017 and was recorded in the past couple years. It's just crazy that it, it sounds so much like music of that, of that older era. So right. really on the nose here. Uh, let's move on. We're going to go back to the world of big band, back to a boss theme or a stage theme here. Uh, and so when people really think about Cuphead, the primary sound that they're going to hear is this sound here it's really really exciting very high energy swing let's take a listen to threatening zeppelin from cuphead You guys are listening to Threatening Zeppelin from Cuphead, one of the most swinging tracks of the whole score. 
This is so great. I love the heavy emphasis on that on that vibraphone, especially on the introduction. It starts off with right. the solo vibes, and I think that might be Chris playing that. I know he does play vibes across uh, across the score. There's someone else who who does the vibe solos, so I'm not sure if that's if that's Chris or that other player. But yeah, just wonderful composition and very unique. This this is actually one of the cases of uh, this does not remind me specifically of a lot of uh, early big band music. It really feels like it's its own piece of music. Right. I mean, it's totally in that idiom and in that tradition musically in terms of the line, especially yeah. the, da, 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 you know, and the arranging again is, is so solid. Um, I like in this piece how kind of almost like antiphonal it is in terms of the arrangement, you know, the, a lot of big band arrangements tend to feature, you know, the different sections of the band. So, like, trumpets are always together, mm -hmm. bones are always together, and saxes are always together. But here, there are these interesting little instrument pairings where you'll have alto sax and its really high register doubled with vibraphone, yeah. and then you'll have berry and trombones. And Very imaginative. It's kind of thought of in a, yeah, a little bit of a different way, and there's all this call and response. It's so playful. It's very animated. <laughs> it's music that fits <laughs> really well really well to this experience. I mean, if anyone hasn't played this game, what I do recommend you doing, in addition to buying the soundtrack, is go on YouTube and try to watch some plays, just some long plays of this, and just see how how well the tone of this music matches the gameplay and the, and the aesthetics visually. It's just, oh, it's just so great. The only thing that I think, I think that we know would be, would be a cool feature for this game to have, maybe on like the, the, the options menu, I think it'd be cool is if the entire game, you could add like a record scratch sound <laughs> through the whole thing uh, or some sort of filter to make it sound old-timey that that would be a really cool uh, way to experience this because I can just picture this coming from an old record player uh, all right so let's move on to one more piece of music before we get to our interview this one is definitely a, a crowd favorite I think one of the most popular tracks so far and, and we got we do have to say how recently this came out so it's crazy this already feels like a classic soundtrack and I do think this is going to go down in history as being you know, just, just a very iconic and singular uh, score for video games. But let's take a listen to Floral Fury from Cuphead. cool you guys are listening to floral fury and i think one of the reasons why this might be one of the most popular tracks and, and i do think this is this is one that chris mentioned uh some of the pieces we're music we're, we're playing today are actually some of chris's favorites too so this is this is i think one of his favorites as well um but i think one of the reasons for that is this is so different uh than than a lot of the not just the score but specifically the big band stuff this one has a lot more of a latin influence than most of the other pieces um it really has a floral sound to it no no 
I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, this this one has really great um, kind of staccato writing and playing that really kind of cuts over that rhythm section. So there's just obviously a really great Latin groove happening, um, but just just wonderfully like staccato syncopated lines uh, on top of it. It's just this one makes you want to get up and dance. Yeah, I mean, it's very catchy. Yeah, it's just. Uh, that's a really excellent melody line, and th- there's also just so much excitement and fun rhythmically with this track, and the percussion and all the the solos are really top notch. That's it's something that we should mention the the soloistic playing and all the jazz improvisation on this score is, mm-hmm. is really top notch. They have some outstanding players in all these ensembles. Yeah, it, I, I honestly can't think of. <laughs> Of like a better example in video games of a score that says like fully big band with these wonderful players, great arrangements, killer solos, really fun imaginative ideas. You know, there's a lot of these solos that are really in your face, and it's not something we get a lot in modern jazz. You know, like for example, you might have like a plunger mute on the trombone, just giving a really swanky old school sound. And so th- these players are just having so much fun and you can tell they are they are top tier players. So yeah, what a delight. And this is the whole score. I mean, it's nothing but real performance and in a, in a variety of different ensembles. I think over three hours of music in the score. So just an incredible achievement here. Absolutely. Well, why don't we sit down and talk with the composer of all this incredible music, the very talented Mr. Christopher Madigan. We are very excited to be joined today by the Cuphead composer Christopher Madigan. Chris, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure, guys. My pleasure. Awesome. So the first thing we wanted to talk to you about, we we have to start with this. With the release of Cuphead, I I assume this has been an an exciting, crazy year for you. What's it been like in the wake of the release to see everyone's response, not only to the game, but to your wonderful score? What's this process been like for you? Oh, it's been great. I haven't really had too much time to enjoy it. I've been busy (laughs) back at work, basically, (laughs) all the past couple months. But uh, it's, uh, I think, I don't think anyone on the team expected... um, uh, the reaction to be anywhere near as, as big as it has been. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, I think all around it's quite, uh, it's quite gratifying. And just, it's crazy to see how many uh, game of the year lists uh, that Cuphead is on. Uh, it's, it's, it's definitely one of the, one of the most talked about releases of the year for sure. Yeah. It's kind of a tough year with uh, Mario and Zelda, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just, just being on those lists is great. Well, yeah, I mean, we just really wanted to congratulate you on a job well done. Cuphead is such an exciting project. I mean, I remember the first time hearing about just the idea of capturing that aesthetic and that world. Um, It, you know, it was one of those ideas that I'm sure everyone was so excited to be a part of. And it really had this long development cycle. What I'm curious is... Super long. Yeah, in, when, in terms of the score, how long did it take to write and record all of that incredible music, and how much time were you given to really do that task? Uh, well, Chad and Jared came to me. It was uh, Chad and Jared Moldenhauer, who are the two main developers behind Studio MBHR. Uh, they came to me, I think I started writing near the end of summer 2013. Okay. So it was kind of like a, it was more of a concurrent process and less like, here's a finished game, now write some music for it, which I think, right. I don't know how often that happens in games, but I know that's a common thing in film and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was, 
the first recording sessions were in late March 2016, I think. So, oh, okay. You know, it was over two and a half years between the, the very initial sort of when it started for me and when we started doing the recording. And I mean, the recording, there was a, a big band session then. And then a, I think about a month and a half later, we did all of the ragtime stuff. And then a month and a half after that, we did the final big band sessions. So we were sort of done the bulk of the recording by by mid to the end of summer 2016. Oh, wow. I, I Also, and a lot of that was like, because the game was supposed to come out that year. So there was this big push to get it finished. Right. And And then, you know, that obviously didn't happen. But it was nice to have that stuff done. And there was still a few other, you know, up until even, I think I still, I recorded one of the last piano tunes. The last thing that got recorded was the Inkwell Hell piano. Oh, awesome. And I think, I, think I, I recorded that maybe like three and a half months ago. So, I mean, it was still, you know, up you know, up till pretty close to when the, this, the actual deadline was, was. Right. We were still doing that kind of stuff. So how many how many sessions were there for, for the big band stuff? Just two sessions? Uh, well, two groups of sessions. So I think... Um, I think the first one was maybe two days in the studio, and the second one was I want to say three. Oh wow, that that's just insane to think about how much how much music there is that you guys were very efficient. Yeah, we I mean we tried to show up as prepared as possible, or I did anyways, and the uh, the musicians that we had were you know we hired them because they're incredible. So right. they they sort of made quick work of of the charts. It sounds like, you know, that's a, that's quite a long time, you know, from 2013 to 2016 uh, before you're actually getting into the recording studio. What was your process like in terms of composition? Did you start writing melodies or just more trying to immerse yourself in the sound of Cuphead? Uh, it was it was both of those. It was kind of everything uh, at once in a way. Like um, I had to sort of, you know, I hadn't really written anything before, especially anything like this. And... I've been a fan of jazz, you know, for decades. Like it's, I love, love listening to it, and I've played uh, jazz, <laughs> jazz drums for a long. You know, I'm a, a bit of a jazz drummer, and uh, like it's not like I was totally unfamiliar with the music, but I had to really go and like really listen. Mm. Uh, but also, I didn't, you know, the initial deadline. There was never really like a deadline, deadline, but there was always this looming deadline on the horizon. So mm-hmm. I still was even from the very beginning. I was starting to write stuff and try and figure things out just because I didn't want to like only study the music for a year and then then have the whole task in front of me I wanted to kind of do it simultaneously so so much listening and trying to get trying to find like the you know the things that make that music what it is right and then did lots of reading I did a lot of reading on the specific artists because that always sort of like opens up other avenues they might mention a tune like in Duke Ellington's autobiography that I hadn't heard so I might check that out Mm-hmm. And so you know, there was that. Definitely had some some pretty good uh, theory and arranging books that I was I was working out of also at the same time. And was very fortunate early on also to get hooked up with a really good teacher who sort of helped me um, find my way through what I was attempting to to pull off. So so it was all kind of all that stuff was going on simultaneously, basically. Yeah. Well, what's so impressive about the score to Cuphead is it's not just nailing one era of jazz. You're able to, it's almost like this love letter to multiple eras of jazz, even starting from some of the traditions that predated jazz, you know, such as ragtime. Mm-hmm. And so it's so wild that you were able to nail all of those different eras. Was there a particular era of jazz or, or maybe kind of sub tradition of jazz that you had the most experience with before? Or were there other ones that you had to really learn, uh, you know, kind of dig into for this project? 
I was familiar, I mean, from a drumming standpoint, I was familiar with both um, early big bands because I had studied it, you know, from that perspective. Mm -hmm. And also, I've been in a few performance situations where we've done some ragtime stuff, like in a symphony context, or um, I play with the National Ballet of Canada Orchestra. Oh, great. And there's a really... uh, there's a really cute ballet that's in the repertoire called The Week Syncopations. And I, I, I want to say that it was choreographed maybe in the 70s. Okay. A lot of the music in that is the, the Gunther Schuller, Scott Joplin arrangements. Right. From like the Redback Book stuff that he recorded with the New England Ragtime Conservatory. So we did that, I want to say like six or seven years ago. And it's like, you know, the band is on stage. We're all dressed up in costumes. And it's pretty fun, actually. But I really, you know, I got a lot out of that particular thing because I just went at the library all the time finding these old records that they don't really, uh, no one ever listens to and checking out, (laughs) you know, trying to figure out the proper way to drum for that kind of style as well. So I I had a lot of experience really delving into the the more specifics of of ragtime music also. But it's different to drum to it. And then Mm -hmm. on the other hand, you have to compose new music in that style. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing. Like, I wasn't super familiar with any of it, really, but I was peripherally familiar with most of what I was trying to trying to pull off, I think. Well, I mean, just listening to the, the finished results, I think it, it's definitely, you know, mission accomplished, job well done. I, just speaking for myself, I'm a huge fan of ragtime music, and Scott Joplin is really one of my favorite composers. Mm-hmm. And I, I so admired um, so much of what you were doing on this score. I mean, in terms of the production sound and everything, but more specifically, just how you constructed your melodies, the harmonic structure, all these things, there's, there's kind of like a a run on sentence flavor, I think to a lot of ragtime music where it always needs to kind of have this perpetual motion. Mm -hmm. And I really admired that in your music as well, that I just think you really nailed it. Oh, I mean, thanks. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that is, one of the big challenges, I think, on this whole project was like you're trying to do something creative and sort of individual in a sense, but you're working with a, and within a style which is already going to be highly derivative. Right. So it's like how do you how do you balance your trying to write something original with trying to stay within sort of the cliches that make that style what it is? So, like I li- you know I listened to a lot of ragtime stuff too, and I got the Scott Joplin um, piano folio book. And just sort of like looked through a lot of that and looked at a lot of the harmonic structure that he was using. Like, you know, uh, so much of that stuff I, I can take no credit for. This is, I'm right. just using what came before. So, but it was still trying. How can you take that and make it your own in a way which is not, you know, super derivative or, you know, ripping somebody off kind of in a way? Like you're just trying to, trying to get the flavor of that without plagiarizing well in my opinion i think that's the number one most impressive thing about your work on cuphead is that you were able to achieve that because i think when we all heard about the game we were looking forward to oh cartoon like old-timey jazzy cartoon music but while that is there there's so many other traditions that are there and there's so many other things that that it really goes beyond what anyone would have expected for uh, the scope of that project so yeah i I just have to say that it was it it was very impressive that you were able to kind of walk that line well yeah thank you i mean we were definitely i think probably the whole studio too was really aware of that where where is the line between something that you've created and something that somebody else has created that you know Mm. you don't necessarily want to take credit for that but i'm curious was the assignment to specifically model your work after existing kind of like early sound cartoon music 
or um, were you kind of given freedom to find that style? Because in addition to all of that ragtime music, you have all this exciting energetic you know fast swing big band music which i definitely associate to the period of the 1930s but not necessarily to like cartoon music in the same way that i might with some of the ragtime or the like jazz orchestral stuff that we hear in the score was that sort of your idea to write music in that style or was it sort of um was that kind of an assignment that was given to you uh yeah i mean more or less that was uh when Chad and Jared originally asked me to do this, they had kind of already done a certain amount of their own research. And I mean, they're both particularly uh, knowledgeable about music and that they already, they sort of knew the direction they wanted to go when they had started. So basically like Chad had just sent me a bunch of YouTube videos, a lot of stuff I was already familiar with, but he was, he said, you know, this is the style we're going for. And obviously he mm. sent me sing, 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 sent me a couple of Cab Calloway things. And he's like, this is what, and this is originally when the game was, uh, just bosses too. So the, my feeling was only only exciting big band for the bosses, no ragtime or anything like mm. that. And so, so that was kind of they didn't want to go the old cartoon route in a sense. They wanted to go more get that big band sort of vibe happen. Sure. And I didn't really end up. I basically watched almost no cartoons either, like just sort of any sort of research because there was not really much point. The ones I did see, like there's really not many that use jazz in them. Like a lot of them have whatever whatever you want to call that kind of music, cartoony sort of chamber orchestra stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, that wasn't really what they were going for in the game. And and then as the game got bigger, you know, when originally there was going to be one world map hub. So then I was like, well, I, I wanted to do something different for that. So I think that was when I was like, let's do some, let's do a different style. Yeah. So that was where sort of where the ragtime came out, and then. From there, you know, it became One World, Two Worlds, Three Worlds, and, you know, Elder Kettle and all of these other sort of secondary things happened. So I thought it was kind of interesting to try and, you know, make the bosses big band, make the overworlds uh, and secondary characters more ragtime, make mm-hmm. make the platforming levels like piano-based ragtime, like kind of that more soloistic kind of thing, and sort of like tie everything together thematically. Like the levels are kind of related to each other musically and the bosses are kind of related the world maps but they're not necessarily all the same that's so wonderful you know one of my favorite things listening to the cuphead score after hearing a little bit about you i'm, I'm also a percussionist and drummer as well so for me nice. i'm always i'm always listening to that and knowing knowing that you're a percussionist i really think it's benefited at least the work on cuphead because it's these, these tunes have such such rhythmic interest to them it really does seem like it, it was help it was helping to add add excitement on this score, not to mention, you know, you contributing some some awesome percussion performance uh, all over the all over the score. So, do you have any thoughts on on maybe how being a percussionist maybe first uh, informed your composition here? When I was studying with, uh, well, after the project was done, uh, well, I, I guess I say like when I first went to John Herberman, who was the guy who I ended up studying with, um, and he was if you watch the the making of behind the scenes videos, he's the guy doing the conducting on those ones. Oh, cool. So he was, he, you know, he got involved with the project early on and he was really into it. So, you know, he did all that. He did the contracting and it was just great. Um, but I, you know, he sort of mentioned that one of the things that he thinks benefited me was not having really studied, it's not necessarily being a drummer, but not having studied the music before and maybe not taking like, I did like one year, I have my degree is basically in classical music. 
classical percussion. Okay. And I did do one year of jazz. I wanted to do my master's in jazz, but it was like way too busy outside of school, so I stopped doing it. But so I took, you know, I did an arranging class there, but I was never really super versed in arranging. And and I John kind of says, and I sort of agree with him on this, that that's maybe that was maybe more beneficial than anything is that I was approaching it from a really sort of clean palette in a way, and I didn't have hmm. I didn't have all of the, uh, the standard you know, early big band licks sort of figured out. So like a lot of the figures in there are really, are really sort of like upside down and backwards in a way. And like pretty weird, I think compared to traditional big band. So I think that that, that maybe benefited me more than anything. When you're able to be sort of an objective, an objective observer of, of that music and you don't necessarily have your own instincts within, you know, if you had written tons of big band music, but maybe it wasn't mm-hmm. exactly in this 1930s style, it might have been more of a challenge where you get to use, you know, your talent and everything that you maybe learned in school to... Yeah, you have to unlearn what you've learned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's kind of... Well, I think it was kind of instinctual in a way, but it was the, the instinct that anyone who was maybe a learned big band composer would never have used. You know, maybe a different way to think of it. I mean, I think that's... That's yet another example of, of how impressive the, the end result is. If, if it's true that it seemed like you didn't have all the, the experience in the world of, of composing a lot of jazz music before this, uh, I mean, this, this is just incredible, incredible music. So all, all the more impressive. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm curious, just again, talking about your, your process here, when you were, um, when composing, you know, how much were you playing and watching the game when creating the music? Were you kind of tasked with specifically matching pace and, and timing of certain sequences or were you kind of given freedom to just do your thing as long as it matched with the overall vibe and aesthetic? Yeah, it was definitely more of a vibe thing, like like pacing the bosses and trying to, you know, maybe follow them as they get more intense was like, if that happened at any point, it was a bit more happenstance. Right. Um, we just wanted to, like, we didn't approach this the way I think much typical video game music is. Like, I wanted to just write big band tunes that stood on their own, and then, you know, we'll see if they work in the game in that sense. And in, in some cases, I was writing for specific bosses, like the train boss, uh, the devil, the frogs. I knew pretty early on that was going to be the frogs music. And but then other other tunes, I was just writing things, and I would send it to to Chad, and he would say, "Oh, this is going to be good for this boss." Wow. So it wasn't it wasn't really. In some cases, it was written for specifics, and in other cases, it was just sort of matched up after the fact. And but you know, fortunately, generally the vibes meshed with the, the bosses that they chose. One particular track that I'm just curious about hearing maybe where in in the chronology of the project was composed, when was uh, Inkwell Isle 2 composed? Because that was a, a standout track for both of us. Yeah. It just had this really awesome, almost like John Philip Sousa marching band mm-hmm. uh, vibe. And you just really, really nailed that sound. And it really felt like a change of pace from a lot of the score. So when well, was that composed? It reminded me of like some of the early sound comedies. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen like the Laurel and Hardy shorts or some of like yeah. the, the Hal Roach music, just that kind of like... Well, that 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 was another. So all of those those versions were based, or the instrument instrumentation for those was based on the Gunther Schuller arrangements. Sure. And those, so that in the chronology, that I, I I know most of these tunes almost more by number than I do by name. So that oh, tune wow. that was Cuphead eighty nine. 
Okay. <laughs> I think it was. I think we ended around 149 or 150. So there's a bunch wow. of stuff which was either not used or was just kind of like sketches that were not good. Um, so that was, you know, sort of in the middle. And that was at the point where we knew that we were expanding to multiple worlds. So I was looking at, okay, so we did this obviously Scott Joplin. Like for me, rag, the ragtime influence was, Scott Joplin was by far the biggest influence on any of the ragtime stuff. <laughs> particularly the overworlds, I guess. But, you know, they said there was going to be more, and I still wanted to keep it in the ragtime vibe, but I didn't want to just keep doing, like, similar sort of 2-4 ragtime things. So I started, I went into, you know, looked at the, the Joplin sort of chronology of what he had done, and he has three or four 6-8 um, marches that he wrote. Yeah. And so it was kind of more based on that. I mean, that does come out of the Sousa tradition. That's where the ragtime stuff came from originally, was ragging, yeah. like, the really straight marches. Right. So there's that one, and then Cuphead. I might be giving too much away. I don't know. I've got to keep my secret. <laughs> Spoiler was, uh, alert. Cuphead 88, uh, <laughs> the one right before that, is what became Elder Kettle's music. Oh, wow. And that was, but that was originally, I went to a, a class that morning. Um, there's a society in Toronto called the Ravel Society. And there's one in LA, I think, and there's one maybe in New York. And it's just like a sort of semi-pro composition it's, we get together once a month and analyze scores. Cool. And um, we've always guest lecturers in. And the guest lecturer this one day um, was a great composer and saxophone player from Toronto, Rob Carley. And he writes music for um, a bunch of TV shows in Canada. Mm -hmm. But he was talking about, he did a lecture kind of on writing, writing waltzes. And I was, that was the same time I was reading the... Um, 33 and a third book on Koji Kondo's Mario Brothers music. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have that and book. so he was, yeah. So in there, he pointed, like, I didn't really realize this, but uh, it's been like decades since I've played any Mario stuff. But um, that's so wild. In that one, they point out, like, all of the, the water worlds in Mario are all waltzes. Right. So I was like, okay, so this is sort of formulating. So then I, I asked Chad, like, you guys are having more worlds. Is there going to be one that's a water world or anything? And he's like, probably. So, so I, that's so I started writing the waltz. Um, based, it's kind of also like it's somewhat Joplin-esque, I think. Right. Oh yeah. Well, you know, it's so wild that you mentioned Koji Kondo because one of our questions was actually about that. For us, it was really interesting to to distinguish the outside influences such as jazz, ragtime, and and, and classical mm -hmm. uh, that the score has, but also with the video game influences. Uh, and we were just wondering how that worked for you. Like, did you have particular uh, classic video game music influence, such as maybe the Super Mario World uh, series, because there was definitely some some vibes we were hearing in Funfair Fever, for example. It definitely reminded us of Koji Kondo's work. Yeah, so yeah. was that something you were you were thinking about, or was it pretty much just the the outside video game music genres? Uh, I listened to very little video game music while I was writing this. I was familiar with a lot of like I played video games. I haven't really been a gamer for a long time, but I played a lot when I was younger. Okay, and really, I mostly played RPGs. And so, I mean, since since then, I've gone back. I've been listening to a lot of Winatsu and uh, Mitsuda and oh, nice! You know, it's you know, great, great music. But I I listened to very little for the game because uh, I didn't want to really think about it as a, from a video game perspective. I wanted to think of it from a um, 
jazz perspective. Right. So, but the, I think Funfair Fever is going to haunt me till I die because people keep. It's uh, I literally like if I'd heard that piece, it, I haven't heard it in like twenty years, and uh, it's funny because somebody pointed it out, and then a bunch of other people just kept pointing it out. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh no! Oh man! But it's just yeah. We thought just, we were unique. No, many many people have have uh, pointed that out that I apparently ripped that off. But then I was like, I wouldn't go that far. No. You know, this is like a, a really standard. You know, this was already like ninety years old when Koji Kondo wrote it. Like, oh, it's <laughs> archetypal. A, it's yeah, archetypal music. Right. Well, what I actually love that because I think what that means is that both you and Koji Kondo were going to the source <laughs> of this music and coming up with some similar ideas. I think that's that's a testament to both well, of you. Well, and I think something that we try to celebrate on on the podcast um, with video game music in general is that it's always been sort of this ambassador for forgotten genres and forgotten types of yes. music. I mean, oh, yeah, Koji yeah. Kondo and other, you know, Japanese composers of the time were borrowing heavy influence from ragtime and jazz and classical music when they wouldn't have been, you know, remotely popular things just in popular music or in even in film music. And so mm-hmm. I think what's great is even though you weren't necessarily listening to to video game music, Cuphead I think will be situated amongst, you know, one of the great video game soundtracks because games have always sort of celebrated that eclecticism. Oh yeah, and I that's definitely something like when I was going back and listening particularly to Final Fantasy like 7 and 8. Mm-hmm. I listened to those a few months ago, and it's like, you know, you know there's reggae in there, and there's ragtime in Final <laughs> Fantasy VIII. There's, uh, the, I think, the city, Treno City, has the ragtime theme, mm-hmm. and uh, like metal, and, you know, he's all over the map with those things. And it's cool. Yeah, and it's it's just, it's the only medium where that's that's allowed to be, to be that all over the map. Well, it kind of has to be, because you're trying to represent so many different things, so... But it's funny that people like everyone's losing their minds over this this accidental like Mario homage, but they have people still haven't found a lot of the actual homages that are in there. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, we definitely did not lose our minds over. We just found it interesting. That was about it. <laughs> well, some some people are a bit more uh, critical of that. But what can you say? Yeah. What can you What can you do? It, it is the internet, I, I suppose. I'm I'm curious about um in in addition to all the incredible we've mentioned, big band writing and and great ragtime writing. There there's quite a lot of um vocal music in the soundtrack. Some kind of you know that like barbershop quartet sound and other you know like Which songs. Is awesome. Um and it, it's all really fantastic. I'm curious. Uh, just your background um, would you have considered yourself a songwriter before and also you know when creating some of that particularly like the opening um, piece on the soundtrack uh, were you studying a lot of barbershop quartet music to kind of mm-hmm. nail those dense vocal harmonies uh, yeah no I definitely would not have considered myself any sort of songwriter before this so those are my first probably the, I guess probably the first thing I've ever written with lyrics um, wow. But the only thing that I really studied from the old cartoons, I would go back and I would watch the title cards that a lot of them had. And a lot of them would have a vocal group of some sort. So that was always a very, I think I knew that the title screen music had to be some sort of vocal quartet or trio or something. Mm-hmm. And they had already, the group that we hired, Shoptimus Prime, <laughs> uh, who are based, they're half based in Toronto and half in Rochester, I believe. And they were awesome. If you watch some of the really super early gameplay demos, like from 2015 or whatever, like when it was at conferences and stuff, there was that title screen also has 
barbershop music, but that was just basically what happened was Chad had found them. I think he just reached out because he just wanted, he also wanted something like that for the title screen. Mm. So they kind of put that tune together themselves for the, for the demo. And so for me, it made sense to, to reach back out to them to have them sing the title screen music basically. Wow. And they started, they were able to help me. Like I'd kind of written in, I didn't really know what I was doing. And, um, they were able to get me a copy of, I don't even have, I'd have to go and dig it out. It's like the barbershop arrangers manual. It's like the official, it's like, a, it's like a, they're like the Masons. It's like a totally secret kind of society. Right. You can't, if, <laughs> you, if, you Google, if you Google anything about barbershop harmony, like there's very little information. And, uh, but the book, like the, the official barbershop shop arrangers manual is like almost two inches thick. It's insane. Wow. And, uh, so I got a copy of that and I kind of had to, like that tune in particular, I kind of had to like, I ended up reverse engineering it a bit because wasn't really i mean we have a good group singing it and it would sound fine but it wasn't really as barbershop as would be traditionally considered that Mm -hmm. and so and so i was kind of like you know i'm already studying all this stuff and we're bringing these guys into the studio so i'm i'm gonna try i want to try my hand at writing uh, a more authentic tune from scratch right and so that's where the tune in the middle of the game the break came from wow um was just me like experimenting or like trying, you know, wanting to do something a bit more authentic, and that originally had a couple, couple different thematic elements to it, and both of those were vetoed by the studio, saying that they were way too meta. So, <laughs> so I think it was, I think it was Chad's idea to say, why don't you just get them to sing about like going outside and taking a break or something. So, well, I'm, so I'm that, really... was, that was where those lyrics came from on that. So uh, you're sort of hinting at this, but I, I just want to be clear. When you're uh, writing, when you were writing this music, were you actually like creating like the, the sheet music, like the scores, the arrangements, or were you working with an orchestrator or an arranger? I was, I was studying. I did all of the arrangements myself, but I was studying with John, who was sort of teaching me orchestration as I went. Oh, great. So originally it was going like we had a guy kind of lined up maybe to do the, the orchestrations because this was like, you know, four years ago. I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just going to write these charts and then give them to give them to a professional to arrange. And then he was kind of like, I'm too busy. And then I talked to a few other people he recommended and it didn't really work out. Mm-hmm. And so there was, you know, a few months after after that, this is still in 2013, I guess. There was a point where I was like, just like, well, um, I'm going to maybe try and learn to arrange myself. <laughs> you, you know, why not? It's, <laughs> it's just way more work. But so it was, uh, it's actually kind of nice. Like you sort of have a lot more, I think, control over the final product in a sense. Too. Right. Absolutely. You know, you're, not just, you're not giving your tune to somebody else and hoping they do a good job. Like it's kind of up to you. Well, and it's a very rewarding experience to learn about the music that you love and kind of dissect what makes it so great. Yeah, I mean, I've wanted, I have wanted to write for like a really long time, but I've just never really had an outlet for it. And I, I'm not someone who just has the urge to sit down and, and promote and write because I just feel the need. And I know there are lots of people who are like mm. that, but you know, that's not really me so much. At least not now. I have still have no real urge to do any sort of vanity project, but. Huh. Um, the, the, just the act of like starting, like sitting down and, and starting something that you have no idea what you're doing from scratch was a big, I think it was a bit, you know, confidence booster, I guess, in a sense, yeah. but, you know, now I feel if, if something else comes up that I could learn how to sort of tackle it on my own. So like, you know, I never would have, I never would have 
ever thought that I would be writing any sort of big band music, and it's just sort of the way it worked out. And but that's a, you know as good a place to start as any if you want to sort of just learn how to write something. Well, this is a great lesson for anyone who wants to study arranging. Just uh, you know, just just do a do a Chris did. This is just a glorified uh, <laughs> arrangement project, but it happened to be loved by so many people around the world. That's that's crazy. I think you know. I think uh, the the thing which is like the scariest is just taking the first step, and probably not many people, or not 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 many people, but you know, that's what's going to scare the most amount of people off, maybe. And it's there's a certain point where it's like if you want to actually do something, you just literally have to do it, and you're going to fail a whole bunch along the way. Yeah. But you you know. The failing is sort of where you learn the, the ins and outs of whatever you're It almost sounds do. like a video game. You know, you just have to <laughs> yeah. you keep failing and failing and eventually you're victorious. No, no, it almost sounds like Cuphead is what it sounds like. There is, there is definitely a parallel between the game Cuphead and the development side from from like my point of view and even like the studio. Like mm-hmm. Chad and Jared had never made a game before. They hired professional programmers and artists, but they were still also especially early on when it was still a you know three or four person team they were also like figuring out as they go and so it is it's kind of funny like it's not necessarily on purpose but there is a certain cuphead allegory in there <laughs> well speaking of uh, challenge not just the challenge of the game but you kind of alluded to what i would imagine was maybe the most challenging aspect of the project but if there was another one what what would you say is the most challenging aspect of cuphead for you and maybe what was the most rewarding to a certain extent it was just trying to come up with ideas in the first place Hmm. you know like if they if they had three or four more bosses i don't really know where you know i would have needed the break to have like figured out i was pretty tapped out i think for coming up with this original concepts i guess yeah and like you, you you sort of get those from from doing listening and stuff too you take maybe small things away and put, put it with something else and put an idea together but i was pretty well i think past that point and there's definitely you know there's a few tunes on the soundtrack where they were like for a long time throwaway sketches and then chad was like we really need a couple more tunes so i had to go back to them and try and make something out of them so i think the um yeah, the hardest the hardest thing was just kind of coming up with that many ideas. It's it's daunting even to look at the album. It almost gave me a headache thinking about how hard and how long it would have taken mm. you to to come up with all that. So that that's just insane. And some of them, you know, some of them sort of wrote themselves in a way and also coming up with after Inkwell Isle 1, there's that four note motif in that tune. Right. Which you know was that was that tune and that's all that's all it was it wasn't going to be anything else and then when they were like we need more music it, it just made sense to like what's the, what's the main riff of that tune and then once you have a light motif or any sort of sort of limiting device mm-hmm. it makes coming up with other ideas that much easier so you know writing the inkwell aisle two or three or Elder Cattle's theme was a lot easier than writing the first one because I already had a right. You have yeah. the that's it. Yeah, I had that bass theme to work with, and it, like you know that already like limits your choices so much, which is great. It's all about limitations, man. It is when you have. I mean, that's kind of. I would love to write music for an RPG. I think because I think it would be interesting because you would have a lot more freedom than in this project. But then I also sometimes wonder like, would it be too much freedom? And you know, too much freedom, you don't really know where to go. Yeah. Like this one, this one, there was already, there was pre-built limitations and like it needs to be big band. 
Right. It's almost like you get, you at least start with a problem to solve. They're like, we need this kind of music. And you, there's a definite answer of like when you've gotten close enough to it, you know, mm. as opposed to someone just saying, write whatever kind of music you write, um, you know, take out. I, I imagine that that would be a different type of daunting experience. I assume that would be terrible unless it was literally <laughs> like, yeah, you're kind of stuck within certain things. I think writing for like exactly what we were talking about earlier, like, RPGs, there's going to be a lot more freedom, but that's not going to be the case with too many games. Right. Well, there's so much amazing music in this score. Do you have a particular favorite track? I like Pyramid Peril, I think, the most. Nice. Uh, that one's one of the least derivative tunes in my mind. Like, that one sort of came out really easily, but it was also sure. has some of the most amount of me in it, even though there's mm-hmm. definitely some some Ellington voicings in there. But, I mean, I like I like the Inkwell theme. I like I like Inkwell one and I like Elder Kettle a lot and Floral Fury turned out really well and I know that's one of the crowd favorites. Yeah. Die House also. Right. It's <laughs> kind of taken on a life of its own, which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> I like the uh, the final boss, the first final boss tune more than the second, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, there's there's enough stuff on there that I like. There's one <laughs> one or two tunes that I literally can't stand, but I won't tell you which ones those are. Oh no, that's <laughs> very good. That is that is a good good thing that you don't say that. <laughs> You know what's the craziest thing is I'm sure those those are someone's favorite. Someone out there, those are their favorites. I have seen those two on a couple people's favorite. <laughs> well, favorite it's a good thing. Clothes, which is, I'm like, okay. I mean, that's that's great. You know, mm-hmm. I don't even think they're bad, but I think in my mind, compared to some of the other ones, I'm like, eh, they're just right? Not, they're not that cool. But well, the thing the thing is, is is it's judging it based on some of the heights that you reached on. The other the, the other tracks on the album, I could see that. But coming from nothing, you know, ex- experiencing Cuphead music, every single one of those tracks, if I were going to play that just out of nothing, I would just be like mesmerized by it because it's just such a treat to get that that level of not just not just the compositions that that you had, but you know, the performance on there, mm-hmm. just just the 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 feeling that we get from from the score, the fact that it's all real performance is just such a such a rare treat for video games. Yeah, I mean, they, they went, uh, you know, we had, for like a few minutes, you know, four years ago, we had talked about using, well, we're going to have to use MIDI, and we'll hire, you know, I'll play drums and maybe hire a real bass player and the comping instrument, and then we'll have somebody take some solos. But the rest, all of the ensemble stuff, we'll just have to do MIDI, and hopefully we can do the soundtrack for, I think, 12 grand with the initial uh, start start to finish cost for recording all the music. Okay. And uh, that was, like, you know, and then I think after E3, 2015, I guess, when that we had that sort of trailer that really exploded, and uh, that right after that was when Microsoft reached out. That was kind of when they were like, "Well, we, we're gonna have to go all out, <laughs> really hired like the real musicians and stuff." And it showed. Like, I'm so glad it. I'm I'm so glad it happened. Yeah, and we were fortunate that we got an incredible group of players too. Who you can tell that they they were challenged by it, but you can tell that they were actually really enjoying themselves. Oh, absolutely! You, it comes across. I mean, it's yeah. particularly in that in some of those uh, plunger trombone. Oh yeah, yeah. That's, those squealing solos are just—they're swanky, man. We we lucked out for sure. There's a good jazz scene in Toronto, so it's a good city that uh, we're about to be based in. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I was lucky enough to to visit Toronto a few years back. Well, it was quite a few years back. There was a, I don't know if they still have it, but there was the International Jazz Festival was in Toronto, probably in like maybe 2009-ish, I want to say. Yeah, well, they have the, the, the big Toronto Jazz Fest, so that was probably the, the one. Yeah, yeah, I actually went there with my college jazz ensemble, and we, we, we had a lot of really good kind of, you know, education and concerts and stuff. So yeah, it seemed like a really great jazz scene for sure. It definitely is, yeah. Well, Chris, this has been such a delightful experience talking to you. And just personally, it's such an inspiring story. Uh, I, I really admire sort of how humbly you speak about your work. And I think it's such a great story for, for those of us who maybe are interested in composing or creating, but haven't necessarily been, been given that opportunity to do something. And what I really uh, just want to celebrate here with Cuphead is that you were given an opportunity to do something that um, you hadn't done before and you really rose to the occasion. And I mean, I'm so glad personally that you were the arranger on the project and um, it sounds like you had a quite an interesting time studying all of this music. And oh yeah, the last thing I just wanted to ask you before we uh, let you go here is what are some of your future musical plans and aspirations? Is there anything you could share or talk about right now? Uh, well, right now I'm just back. It's I'm a freelance percussionist in Toronto, and it's last month was started things started to get busy. In the next basically the next two and a half months. I'm working pretty well nonstop, uh, mostly doing symphonic stuff, and it's, so things are hectic. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, there's a couple maybe composition projects in the pipeline, but nothing has been confirmed. Nothing too big either. I definitely don't think I want to. I would. I would like to write more, but I don't want to be like, you know, a composer, quote unquote, um, as my my day job. Like I think that's. I'd rather be involved. I'd, it'd be interesting for me to be to do like less projects but something that are projects that are maybe more special and interesting in a sense yeah so plus i don't work very fast so they need to be uh like studio mdhr is great because they also work really slow i think so (laughs) if if we work together then there's uh there's no like imminent deadlines but you guys are on the same sleep schedule kind of yeah (laughs) so but yeah nothing um nothing particularly uh groundbreaking coming up just a lot of a lot of playing on land which is great that's what i I mean that's kind of my first love so that's that's good that's great it would be nice if they did a sequel to cuphead i'm not sure what the plans are at the moment but uh you know if they do that and if they ask me to be involved i would definitely that's something i would definitely say yes to sure um because i think it would be i still have a few ideas percolating i've had enough i've had enough of a break from it now that i can (laughs) had a few uh few thoughts in my head about things to do so well, whatever the project uh, may be, we definitely look forward to hearing more more music from you. And we're all just so grateful that this game finally came out and this delightful soundtrack uh, is, is now, I think, going to be a staple uh, in video game music history. So so thanks so much for, for your wonderful work and thanks so much for, for taking the time to talk with us today. This has been great. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me here. That was such a fun discussion. Thanks so much, Chris, for coming on the podcast and giving us your time. Really great to get his insights. I think the thing that I left that interview, and hopefully you guys did as well, uh, just kind of scratching my head and smiling, is how dang humble he is. Right. Uh, look at this achievement. You know, so much music, 
all had to be, you know, composed and arranged and, and prepared for this ensemble, recorded. You know, he performed on a lot of it. Uh, such an incredible achievement that I think almost anyone else would have gone out of their way to kind of toot their own horn and say, okay, look what all the stuff I did, you know, this is really great. He's just almost didn't even want to take credit for some of it. It's just right. it's so inspiring how... Um, how amazing the soundtrack is and that it's coming from someone who's so humble who a lot of this was the first time he ever dabbled at doing this uh it's just very inspiring for me as personally as a composer Uh, and i think for anyone out there who's interested in getting into video game music what a cool story this is well and and it goes beyond just being a composer um all the facets of it from being a performing musician to being the arranger and Mm -hmm. everything but also just a person who's given a job that seems daunting that might be beyond the scope of what you're um, currently feel like you can do and, right. and just how he stepped up to the challenge. I mean, it, there's, there's so many impressive things about the Cuphead score, mm-hmm. uh, principally just how much music is in it, how yeah. much music that all needs to be of a specific style and how he had to keep going back to that same pool time and time again to um, try to reinvent the wheel and do something different. That's really impressive. Also, the amount of things that he did himself. Yeah. You know, I mean, the fact that he orchestrated and arranged all this stuff himself i mean that's that's crazy so many composers that do scores like this you know they'll make midi demos and Mm mock-ups and then they'll pass it off to an orchestrator to kind of do the nuts and bolts and and, and that's what blows me away is i've there's definitely composers we've interviewed before that are very humble and that's always great to hear but it's one thing making like like a chip tune or making just like an electronic song versus doing something like this which is so intensive and has so many different processes of it so in order to do all of that and to, in my opinion to nail every aspect of it and then after that to to just be so humble um, and he doesn't even want to he said also he doesn't even really think of himself as a quote unquote composer right. that just blows me away <laughs> well the other thing that I, I really admired about what he said and I completely agree with is there's all these things that we talk about you know just how much music is in it and mm-hmm. you know how the arrangements are so good but what he echoed and what I agree with is the most difficult part of the process for him is coming up with a melody yeah and I, I, I 100% echo that I mean it's really difficult to write a good melody particularly if there's kind of a requirement that it be in a style it's really challenging and it takes a lot of work and i think some people listening to this score because it he makes it all sound so effortless and so fun and so natural they might just think like oh he was just cranking this stuff out but i i really admire that he talked about that process of writing a melody and that that's something that was difficult. Well, let's get to some more music today. One thing we haven't uh, been able to, t- to speak to so far today are the wonderful ragtime pieces that, that he composed. So let's play one of those. This is the first overworld of the game. It's kind of a grass area. This is Inkwell Isle 1, and it's a wonderful ragtime piece that features uh, kind of this ragtime band. Let's take a listen to Inkwell Isle 1. Thank you. 
You guys are listening to Inkwell Isle One, which is the first overworld in Cuphead, composed by the wonderful Christopher Madigan. And if you uh, actually go to the Bandcamp page of this soundtrack, which I highly recommend everyone go out and buy this, um, he has really awesome crediting for all the different ensembles. The first ensemble obviously being the big band ensemble. And then what he calls this ensemble is actually the ragtime band. So it has woodwinds, brass, string quartet, and rhythm section. So what, what a delightful sound and what a delightful melody this is. Part of what I think makes that optimistic ragtime sound is has to do with the harmony and it being more married to a classical um, mm-hmm. western classical music idea of harmony which is that this music uses a lot of secondary dominance where mm-hmm. which is basically where you you make a chord that might otherwise be minor or even a major chord and you turn it into a dominant chord which is a major chord with a minor seventh or a dominant seventh um, and it happens a lot in ragtime where you might have a six chord that then becomes this uh, dominant seventh chord or a two chord and that's something that we hear in classical music but not really all the time in jazz or, or modern jazz uh, it's more common I think in a lot of jazz music to hear two five ones kind of mm-hmm. all over the place which is a minor two chord and then a, a five chord and one and so there, there's some idea of a secondary dominant there um, but with this ragtime music since so many chords are major and altered to be this kind of optimistic uh, sound. I I, th- I think to me that's sort of um, what characterizes a little bit of that harmony. It's it's similar to what you get in you know a lot of Dixieland music or just a lot of kind of early jazz that has that optimistic. Um, I, I also associate it, you know, with like music of New Orleans and stuff. Absolutely. Well, I'm really excited to move on to this next track. This is actually my personal favorite in the game. This is Carnival Kerfuffle, and it is the theme to uh, Beppy the Clown, which is one of the bosses in this game. Um, I think almost out of anything in the score, this fits like a glove for a video game. Not only is it is it really catchy and just wonderful jazz writing, Uh, Whether or not it was intentional, it actually reminds me of some other video game jazzy music. In any case, I think it's, it's wonderful. Let's take a listen to Carnival Kerfuffle. is just the best (laughs) you guys are listening to carnival kerfuffle from the amazing score to cuphead which just came out a little bit ago it's late september this game was released and it really does already feel like a classic soundtrack here composed by christopher madigan what i think is so so impressive and one of the reasons why people are really responding to this is because in recent years we've had little tastes of big band jazz in video games um and it's always been successful and it's always been well received 
going back to something you know a little bit more in the past something like Grim Fandango we had that we think about the energy of that score a lot of it is very subdued uh, moving into something much more recently something like Mario 3D World there was this promise of this big band score but really we only had a few tracks um, that really had that full promise um, and, and it was wonderful but this is an example where you have three hours of this music and almost everything is this high energy up-tempo swing with wonderful solos and if you like this kind of music you're gonna get so much bang for your buck in the soundtrack yeah absolutely I, I really hope that um, Chris had fun when working on this when working on this yeah, game I bet because he did. Uh, it it, there, there really is this sense of fun and, and playfulness to the music and I think the overall vibe and aesthetic of the game. Yeah. Um, so I, I hope there were moments where, um, you know, not just him, but all the people working on, all the musicians. I mean, I, I really get the sense that it was an enjoyable experience. We're going to now move on to Pyramid Peril, which is another very unique piece of music, uh, very contrasting to the sound that we get for a lot of this boss music here. And this is another one that is, I, th- I think, particularly uh, popular among uh, the community so far. So this is a fan favorite. Let's take a listen to Pyramid Peril. Listening to Pyramid Peril from Cuphead, composed by Christopher Madigan. This is another kind of sassy and snarly, <laughs> so uh, sassy. big band piece. <laughs> Something that I really enjoyed um, on a lot of this music is the use of clarinet. It's not always featured uh, within a big band setting, but it dev- it definitely gives it a little bit of an earlier 1930s sound or mm-hmm. even a, a 20s sound. Oh, absolutely. When I listen to a, a track like this, I love hearing the, the influences of this. And you can tell that Chris was listening to a lot of big band music, but also some, some big band Latin, uh, maybe more exotic pieces, such as, you know, Night in Tunisia or even Caravan, uh, pieces like that. You can kind of hear, especially in the way that this drummer is approaching uh, this. this It's a very interesting beat that is, is just very different than what we get in most of the score. And just the vibe that this track has um, is just so appealing. Oh, man. Yeah, this is another one that really makes you just kind of want to get up and, and dance to. Here, here. Let's see what we got next. We actually only have a few more pieces left to talk about today. This has been such a fun time. We, we The only thing we wish we could have had time to play even more music from Cuphead, but, you know, that means we can probably save things for future show and tells, so that'll be good. All right, let's move on to... A really funny moment in this game. This is called Die House. And this is the theme of one of the antagonists, like the secondary antagonist. It was kind of taunting you. <laughs> and I love how kind of self-aware and self-referential this is. Let's take a listen to Die House from Cuphead. I 
Mr. King dies, I'm the gamest in the land. I never play nice, I'm the devil's right hand man. I can't let you pass, cause you ain't done everything. Bring me those contracts, come on, bring them to the king. If you haven't finished your task, haven't worked assiduously, no, I cannot let you pass. Don't you mess with me. Don't mess with King Don't mess with me. Don't mess with King You guys are listening to Die House from Cuphead, featuring some really delightful vocals that nail this era. Kind of reminds me of, you know, like a classic such as Minnie the Moocher or something like that. This is composed by Christopher Madigan, and I would say this might be the the, the top, maybe like in the top three of most popular, most covered pieces from Cuphead. If you go on YouTube, you'll be shocked with how many covers there already are of this right. <laughs> of this piece of music. So yeah, this is this is a modern classic. Well, it, it it's definitely going for that kind of like Fats Waller sound mm-hmm. or like Cab Calloway that. <laughs> it's the kind of thing that I think um, they were trying to capture a little bit in like Aladdin, um, yep. you know, in, in terms of like the, the approach to songwriting and everything. Uh, but yeah, this is just a <laughs> a, a, a lovely piece, <laughs> lovely piece, uh, gorgeous vocal performance here. Um, I, I always enjoyed when characters sing to me in a video game. (laughs) (laughs) This is probably my favorite example of that though. I mean, if it sounds like this, I am, I am all for it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, not since the lums from the Rayman games have, (laughs) has it been so delightful. Oh, it'd be really cool to see, to see Chris collaborate on a future Rayman soundtrack. That'd be wonderful. All right. Let's move on to the last track we're going to talk about today. This is fun house frazzle. Here we go. is so good you guys are listening to funhouse frazzle i believe this is chris on the drums here i just i'm such a sucker and we talked about this last week i'm such a sucker for brushes on the drum kit it's just something about it is just so smooth and and here i think all we have is just solo piano and um and brushes here on the drum kit i think that's all we got here but man it sounds so full what a what a nice devious this reminds me of, of actually a lot of video game music as well. Sure. Well, and it is a little bit of a theme and variations on, I guess, what you might call the main Cuphead theme, that sure. Inkwell Isle 1 music that yeah. also um, is in sort of the DNA of the Elder Kettle theme. Um, and right. I, I like hearing this this devious, more mischievous, uh, I guess, slightly darker minor key 
version I of love it. it. And it's it's kind of blending the the ragtime and early jazz genres together. Yeah, well, it's also it reminds me of old like silent silent films that would have like a live pianist in the theater playing along right, with. Right, exactly. Uh, and also cartoon music. This is actually one of the tracks that I think despite what Chris was saying where he didn't actually watch a lot of uh, cartoons for this, this really does scream like early cartoon music to me. Right, no, no, completely. And w- what it's also cool about the evolution of jazz music is a lot of early jazz pianists would basically take, you know, Scott Joplin tunes, old ragtime tunes, they would swing it, yeah. and they would improvise over it. And um, part of the development of jazz is kind of doing that. And what I love in a track like this, um, that's kind of what we're hearing. We're, we're almost yeah. hearing, like, riffing off of... Um, the more basic kind of ragtime version of the theme. Absolutely. Well, guys, this has been such a delight to explore this music and to discuss, you know, why we think it's so amazing. And, you know, we want to thank Chris one more time for for giving us that opportunity to speak with him. That was so insightful and uh, just such a breath of fresh air. I I really do hope that he returns uh, not just to maybe to the world of Cuphead, but I just want to hear more music uh, from him because I think he's incredibly talented. So we definitely eagerly await uh, his future work. So thanks one more time, Chris, for, for coming on. And thank you all for joining us for our first episode back from Nintendo Month. Uh, We hope you've enjoyed listening to this incredible music from Cuphead as much as we have. And we've got more exciting things in store in the weeks ahead. Absolutely. So you can look forward to that. Absolutely. So we're going to play you guys out with one of the final uh, bosses that you play in the game. This is The King's Court, once again composed by Christopher Madigan. Stick with us, guys. We have some great episodes as we wrap up this season and we approach a really exciting milestone. So we got some cool stuff coming up. Uh, one more time, if you're interested in supporting the show, the best way to do that is on our Patreon page. So thanks to all of our lovely patrons. Thanks to everyone for sending us nice comments and emails. We've gotten a lot of really nice emails lately. Uh, we do read all of them. We try to respond to as many as we can. Sometimes there might be a delay, and we apologize if we ever miss an email. Feel free to shoot it over one more time if, if we haven't responded to you. But we really appreciate all of your wonderful words and feedback. And also thanks to everyone for leaving nice iTunes reviews. That really helps us out, helps more people discover the show. All right, we'll play you guys out with the King's Court, and we'll talk to you next week. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm Will Brueggemann. Have a great week, everyone. Peace out. (laughs) 